This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Awesome Woodies. Awesome Woodies are the original portable hangboard company made by hand here in Australia. They were making these boards years before anyone else. Maybe you've seen their boards hanging off the cliff or a tree at your local crag. They're everywhere. And do you know why? Because they work. Nothing else is going to get you warmed up for your project like the cliff board will. No more shall you pull onto your project with unrecruited fingers. No more shall you burn precious skin doing extra warm-ups. The Awesome Woody's cliff boards are here for you. They love you and want you to be ready for a full day of awesomeness. Their cliff boards still lead the way with quality, durability and functionality. Plus they weigh almost nothing. Take the cliff board Petite for example, one I personally designed with the team. It weighs 280 grams. Mate, my Vegemite sandwich nearly weighs more than that. The cliff boards are also great if you don't have the ability to have a proper hangboard set up at your home. If you do have space for a fixed hangboard or campus board though, Awesome Woodies have got you covered. The Homeboy hangboard is the boss. The wood edges on this board are super comfortable to spend a lot of time hanging from, even when you've trashed yourself all weekend at the crag. Awesome Woodies can also cover your campus board with all the grips you need. Campus rungs in four different sizes, sloper rails and half balls. Everything is there for you to power up. Now for those of you into a minimal aesthetic or just like boning down, Awesome Woodies have got edgies. Pairs of 6, 8 and 10 mil edges made out of premium Tassie oak, which is sourced from sustainable plantations. So not only do these edges look the goods, they are doing good. In fact, all the Awesome Woody's products are made from sustainably sourced timber. Their commitment to the environment and quality really sets these guys apart from the rest. So head to awesomewoodies.com, chuck in Baffle Days at checkout for 15% off your next piece of game-changing equipment. G'day everyone and welcome to the Baffle Days podcast. My name is Tom O'Halloran and our guest today is Crystal Wright. She is a totally awesome adventure photographer based up on the sunny coast of Queensland, Australia. I first met Crystal back in 2008 and then she's just gone like bananas since then. Queensland joke, bananas. Anyone get it? Um, She's just gone so well with her career since then, just traveling all around the world Uh, And we discussed this and so much more. It was really awesome to have a chat with someone that's kind of on the creative side of climbing in this space or kind of documenting the the outdoor world. And we go into sharing work online, becoming a photographer, finding creativity and inspiration, living on the road, work versus creativity and looking for new angles at familiar spaces. This was a super impromptu chat. Amanda and I were down in Centennial Glen, uh, little local crag in the Blue Mountains here and bump into Crystal. And it's the first time that I'd seen her since 2008 and was like, oh my gosh, hey, how are you? Um, and we ended up hooking up a photo shoot for the next day out at Perry's Lookdown. I was going to go out and try and climb my new multi-pitch route. Um, so, we did that and we've got some really cool photos from that day. And then that evening, Crystal came back and we had a chat about all things photography, um, and that's what we're about to dig into. So, I hope you enjoy. This is our chat with Crystal Wright. Before we jump into today's chat, uh, head over to the Baffle Days website, baffledays.com.au. Uh, we've got heaps of really good training books there. We've got the Beast Making book. We've got a few of Steve Bechtel's book, Power Company Climbing. All of these are really great reading material for yourself or for the climber that you know or love. Um, jump in there. And I've also had this little side project going for a little while now and I finally released it. I've made these coffee trays. They are all made here in Australia in the Blue Mountains. I assemble them all together and finish it all up, sanding them down. Like it's all a very hands-on process for me. There's these kind of flat trays that can easily go into your bag or there's ones with bases on them that are awesome for like walking around. Like it Yeah, I'm proud of them and I think that if you're a coffee person and you're using those disposable coffee trays, these can be an awesome alternative uh, made out of all the FSC rainforest friendly timber and all that sort of thing. Like I've yeah, done my best to make them 
as awesome for the world as possible. And purchasing these sorts of things go a long way to helping the podcast. So if it's something that you're interested in, jump on in there and have a little look. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome along, Crystal. Oh, cheers. Cheers for having me. You and I met like 2008 or something and it's um, and then we just kind of bumped into each other in the Glen the other day. Mm-hmm. Heard you'd been in town and was like, oh, awesome. Blast from the past. <laughs> uh, but you've had like just a crazy decade and a half since we saw each other back then. Well, touche. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> this isn't about us. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. um... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think, what year were you in the Grampians? Was the first time I heard about you, was it 2003? No, I was still in high school. Um, would have been around that time, 2008. 2008? Surely. Yeah, I think that was the first time your the name... The recording of Smitten. Yes. Yeah, 2008, nine. Yeah. I don't speak in years very well, so that sounds good. Blows, it blows really quickly. Yeah. Um, and that's the first time your name popped onto my radar, and like Tom said... Mm. You've had a pretty, um, I think, inspiring and awesome decade and a bit. And so, because we need to crystallize that into a podcast, I thought I'd just ask you three questions to start off with. Mm -hmm. And if you can give us a, you know, good, succinct answer in like 100 words. No, not really. Um, So, number one, Mm. when did you first start taking photos? Number two, when would you have called yourself a photographer? And number three, how did you make that happen? I started taking photos when, well, let's see. I mean, I rem- my earliest memory of a camera is the Kodak disposable cameras. <laughs> I don't know, that's before your time. No, I no. took them to school camp. <laughs> I'm so relieved that's not before <laughs> Tom's time. I took one to Tokyo. Yeah, I still need to get the film developed, actually. Our TV references are always out with our age gap. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, no, so I thought those things were the best thing ever. And I would take them on the camping trips, school trips, and I loved the thought process of, okay, I've got, I don't know, 21 shots. or I always bought the panoramic ones, so I think they were like a weird number, like 21 or 24. Mm. And, you know, say you have five days and you think, okay, Day one, I can take seven photos. Day two, I could take six photos. Anyways, that process, I loved it because it made you choose the moment. And I didn't realize I was doing this. I just enjoyed that. Mm. But when it came to the end of high school, I don't feel like the smartest kid on the block. And like I flunked mass. I failed physics and dropped out. And But I loved music, art and sport. And I knew that I couldn't go into a – what we – yeah – normal career I'm doing my little fingers in italics uh and it was my mum who said well you're pretty good at taking some photos so why not be a photographer and I just thought well shit how do you make a career out of being that but I had nothing else going for me and so I just figured wow yeah just give it take a gamble on it and enrolled I hated the uni degree but after that first year of just sort of flailing around things excuse the pun started to click and I know Uh, but when I was 19 it just all started to make sense and that was it I I don't know I I guess I started becoming a photographer but when I called myself a photographer I don't know it's just what I've always known Mm. just yeah you just keep evolving into it I guess at some point you call yourself a photographer or I mean some days to be honest I call myself an artist because I like Mm not being constrained into you know just one niche it's I think when you're creative it's the artist for me is a bit more you know more free-flowing like you can do so much more with that it's interesting because um I put a post on Instagram of me running Mm. because I just had this had this thought in my head yesterday remembering this park run that I did a couple of weeks ago with a friend. First time I've ever done a park run. Never thought I'd ever do a park run in my life but kind of hoped it would pop in somehow. And I said, um, always love climbing first but can't help but have a stupid grin on my face when I run with a big group of people. It's really odd the way it happens but it's just really fun and joyful. And somebody sent me a, a response to that post and they wrote... Yeah, we haven't climbed for ages. We've just been running. But if you cut us open, we'd be climbers inside. So if they cut you open, you'd be an artist inside. 
Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I think that's cool. Yeah. Where do you see – that's one, and I think especially these days as um, the the computers become more involved in the photography side of things, where do you see the line between photographer and artist? I would say that hmm, – that's an interesting one. For me, it's like I think – Or just like a general – just thinking about this it's just like for me like i get inspired by music by movies by almost any art form probably one of the first uh first inspirations was the work of caravaggio so an italian renaissance painter and his work when you look at it is just stunning like he he paints the way that i like to shoot which is keep the highlights in detail but let the shadows fall off into darkness uh and so I like being influenced by so many different art forms. But then for a while I did try to film as well and create a couple short films, but I realized through that process I'm not a cinematographer. The I see friends who absolutely love and breathe it. They apply that, pat, that passion that I say have for photography. And I realized, well, wait a minute, if I'm not applying that same passion to cinematography, then why am I trying to do this? Mm. Because we all feel like we get forced into, well, you should be multitasking. You should be, mm. you know, put on, you know, hat A, B, C, D, E. But you can't do everything well. Like things will take compromise and sacrifice. And so, but I realized I love designing ideas. Like I love creating an idea for emotion or still. So... And then if I look to other artists that I really admire, I love the ones who have continually changed. They don't go, hmm, everyone knows me as a singer, but you know what? I'm going to go off and, I don't know, design furniture for houses or actually, you know, I got bored of that. Now I'm going to be a painter. I love those people who aren't afraid to keep changing because I think particularly with the pressures of like social media, we sort of feel like, if people like for me, like they know me as an adventure photographer, I oh, some days I like I wish I could post other work to my say social media, but then you think, oh, people don't want to follow that because they followed me for this original reason. So I'm very conscious of like I don't want to fall into that trap. Like mm. I want to I want to do other things because well, life's interesting and life is short. Yeah, it, it's wild the way that um, – and, and it was a question I wanted to ask you, but it's kind of come up naturally now, just that role of social media <laughs> and uh, like of worms. how – well, how do you see – you know, you've got 100,000 people that follow you on Instagram. Mm-hmm. What is the purpose for you of having an Instagram account and it being there? And then I guess, you know, you, you're alluding to – people follow you for this reason Mm -hmm. and you want to be able to provide that like outdoor Mm -hmm. adventure inspo to them while they're sitting on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Way, way to summarize it. (laughs) (laughs) And like, you know, but is it also, you Mm. know, is it a portfolio for clients? Is it like, how do you see your, your Instagram? I would say it's gone on a very interesting journey over the years. I was someone who was very anti um, all of it and I was very late to the game. Uh, Even like with the iPhone, I didn't want to have one. I love my Nokia so much and it wasn't until my brother offloaded like an iPhone 3 when everyone's up to, I don't know, iPhone 5 and even then I dismantled the internet on the phone. I'm like, nah, I'm just against it. I don't want to be a part of this. But bit by bit, you start to cave. And then even with Instagram, finally I sign up one day. And I spent a good year posting once in a blue moon. And it would just be random stuff. And taking on the horrible iPhone photo. Oh, sorry, camera. And yeah, at one point, a friend's like, "Uh, Crystal, people don't want to follow you for that. They want to follow you for Crystal Wright photography. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And so for a few years, I tried really hard to build that audience because there was that pressure. I saw other friends, you know, amounting 30,000, 50,000. And then because I was in that game of being sponsored or an ambassador, again, you felt that extra pressure of like, oh, well, you know, they're going to give this person more money because they've got more followers. So again, I kept working. And it's funny, like I hit the 100,000, I was like, huh. 
I fucking hate this. <laughs> I've always hated it. But <laughs> and it's tricky. It's like I would keep telling myself now, well, if anything, I have to beg myself to post something uh, just to, for the sake of, I guess, staying seen. Not by the whole, like, you know, for a wide audience. I've told myself the only people that matter on my feed is people who can give me work. It's like, look, I love my friends and family and I do appreciate those who want to follow my work. I don't want to, you know, disregard that. But ultimately, putting so much time and effort into this medium, for me, it's like I need to get work. And if I'm not getting work out of this, then why am I wasting time on this? Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I would rather catch up with a friend at a pub, play a few games of pool, catch up properly. And yeah, I don't, I don't need the old to session see, way. Yeah, I don't need to see updates all the time, every day. Mm. I hate the amount of time I'm on the screen. Mm. Like it drives me nuts. And I think a lot of people got burned out with Instagram because for a while people were posting twice a day. That was the thing. But the algorithm changes. And that's the other thing too you realize. You invest all this time and yet a few designers that go, you know what, we're going to change the algorithm. And if you don't play our game, you won't get seen. And so you sort of realize, huh, all that time I spent on that medium and then I don't want to play by the rules anymore. Mm. So, yeah, what is the point? I, I just want the rules to be simple, like, you know, more of a straightforward thing. That's where it's yeah. at at the moment, Hayes. Like the the rules have changed and it's all about the reels mm. and photos are just like... And reels take a lot longer than posting just a photo. Well, and it, yeah. and the, the beauty about a photo like a, a photo for me is always i don't know whether like my dad's a photographer and it's i've kind of romanticized that but it just you see a photo that has just captured that moment and you you don't get that in film but it lets your imagination in, take you somewhere as yeah. well instead of being led down someone's sharply cut reel with their music that they've chosen and what it's even a raw like raw clip of just like that moment like the when you see someone that's like captured the the look in someone's eye as they do something or that moment as the skies just exploded or, or whatever it is like there's it's so freaking cool and like i look through your your feed and it's like there's so many of those moments there where you're just like fuck that's like that's rad like mm. there's just this like crazy thing that's happened in the world and you're there to mm. share it with everyone it's interesting too because we follow a few photographers on youtube to remind me of their names Tom. peter mckinnon peter mckinnon for example and um we also like formula one don't judge us and <laughs> and Peter McKinnon now actually likes Formula One. Um, and he was talking on one of his latest episodes about how it sucks that Instagram's not about the photo anymore because he actually yeah. just wants to look at his friend's photos yeah. and other creators' photos and he wants to see that moment. And so he's like, you know, where can we do this? Like there's a space for that, I think, rather than it being something else. It's tough because photography is what made Instagram – famous in the first place and why mm. people were drawn to it and on one hand okay it was an app for free uh but then of course there's a danger in that because if it's for free then who is the product in that situation mm. um but the problem with like people who start up new apps i think we're all fatigued by that i think for a while people were happy to jump ship you know first was myspace and then off to facebook and then off to instagram and then i guess tiktok mm. But I think at some point people are like, I don't want to start another medium. Mm. Like I just want to settle I, I here. I can't do the jump to TikTok. From no, a business I, point of view, I kind of need to. But mm, I just... Do oh, you? Well... Don't know if you do. That's a glass of wine conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And the, the thing that really shits me off about that medium is that people are ripping off artists all the time on that mm. so for example uh i see a lot well, not that i have the medium but when i did go for one day looking because a friend was trying to convince me to join but it didn't happen and i was looking at, okay well, what what is popular what what do people like in this app and i saw this woman sitting on a couch with her husband and she was just miming um a comedian's routine and i think a lot of people think oh this is nothing um you know and it had like 1.2 million views mm. 
And the way I saw it was like, well, you know what? That comedian, they spent, who knows? It could have been hours, could have been weeks, Could have months. been 10 years making no money living, well, with a backlog of debt to get mm-hmm. to where they are in their career. Yeah. And like for that material specifically to come up with it, they've probably gone on a stage, which most of us absolutely fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sure as hell would never do a comedy routine. Like that would, that would be one of the worst things I could think of. And because I've listened to a few podcasts with comedians, they talked about this, like they go through like bombing, like the joke absolutely sucks. So they have to go back, rework it, have the courage to try that again to see if it's a hit. And meanwhile, you have this person who's sitting on their ass on the couch, miming away just to get a few views. It's like, that's not fair in my eyes. Like that's just ripping off blatantly of someone else's hard work. Mm. I agree. Yeah. No, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no it, it, it's so true is that like the, I, I think as we go to produce more and more and more content in the world and it's like the, there's those crazy statistics of how much was produced prior to like, 2008 and oh, yeah. in, and then a day after that it's like the same amount yeah. too much stuff but there's, there's got to be in, in that like where where is the originality in yeah. the content that's being produced because there is just like copy paste yeah, all of it and yeah. yeah i guess like you know how, how do you see yourself finding an original idea like what are the things that you're um you get inspired to chase and the rabbit holes you, mm. you're going down because you've been all over the world, like Antarctica. Uh, Do you know how <laughs> many countries you've been to or how many places uh, you've been to? A while ago I used to count because it was fun, um, maybe in the 50s somewhere. Yeah. I think a lot of people expect me to say a higher number, but I, I go back to places again and again because – I mean, you only scratch the surface when you first go somewhere. So I guess how lot, how many um how much <laughs> that's time? That's a lot of countries. <laughs> how much time would you have spent at home? I guess in the last oh last two years a lot. <laughs> but before that, predating that, no, predating that, I based close to ten years on the road. Mm. Like some, I didn't have a home. That was the thing. That's why it was easy. Because if you don't have a home and if you're not paying rent and you're not paying electricity bills, etc. Oh, that's actually quite a bit of money to put towards, you know, plane tickets and whatever. And then, uh, I mean, at one point, like I bought myself a car in the States and one of the first trips and I just planned on, yeah, I'm going to sleep in this car. I don't care. Uh, just because I knew accommodation, I, I can't afford that. Mm. But bit by bit, I met people and, you know, those people put me in touch with these people. And then over the years, now I have this massive community over there and, it's lovely. Like, it's a very special thing when you know that people want to bring you into their home and host you. So, yeah. yeah. But going back to the content thing, another rant is like, and you touched on it too, is I don't think we have the ability to absorb the content that's being produced. Mm-hmm. And the argument in that is like, someone could say, well, wait a minute. I love, uh, I don't know, say, I love Twitter or something, or I love Netflix. But then someone else goes, well, I don't love that but i love i don't know music or radio or whatever it is so on one hand we have more choice which is great but i think everyone thinks oh i need to create a great photo every day it's like Mm. you do not it is i don't think you have the ability to maintain that pace and realistically you can't create a great photo every day i mean you can try to challenge yourself and you know take a nice photo or something but for me it's I look back at my folio and I think there are five images that I'm happy with where I look at it and go, I wouldn't change a damn thing about it. Mm. And a lot of other photos, I'm very self-critical and I go, you know what, what if I did that angle? What if I, yeah, did something different about that to improve it, which I don't mind because I see that as a way of evolving and challenging myself. Uh, But yeah, I just don't think we can't handle this pace. It's too mm. much. And then if you do look at the content coming out, a lot of it's shit. Yeah. It's just everyone's rushing thinking, oh, we must produce more, more, more. And it's like, you know, a great film, that's hard to make. You hear about directors who do take years. But um, if you think about items of clothing that you love, hmm. you know, you don't, you don't go to the shops every year and buy, I don't know, 100 items of clothing or 20 items of clothing that you absolutely love putting on Mm. and I'm just reading Marie Kondo's book again (laughs) Um, and when you think about I mean it's kind of one of those weird things to get your head around you're a bit resistant to start off with because you want to buy more Lululemon outfits but you know you read it and you're like okay when I put when I put my shoes on 
my approach shoes that I absolutely love or the climbing shoes that you've chosen, you love them, you feel like you can do anything in them. Mm-hmm. And if you apply that to everything else in your life, then I think it amplifies your life rather than making it smaller. And so when we think about all this stuff that's going into our heads on social media and everything we're digesting, you're diluting the good stuff. And I don't think we can even pick the good stuff half the time. And you're also not giving your brain a break to be creative itself. Yeah, no. I mean, I wrote an article for Alpinist and Sidetrack that I was talking about the overstimulation mm-hmm. because not just through screen time, like my life by 2019, I felt like I was on a flight almost every week that year to another country. And I remember getting to places thinking, what am I doing here? Like, what's my actual purpose here? And But when you create that momentum for yourself, it's mm-hmm. really easy just to keep going. And luckily and unluckily, like I had a health issue, which was an ovarian cyst that grew to the size of a baseball that had to be removed. And that forced me to stop. But I have to admit, like two months after recovery, I started to get sort of itchy feet. Like I was trying to figure out, I knew my career direction had to change, but I wasn't quite sure how to go about it. And at some point, Red Bull in America called me. I was like, yep, we've got a job for you in Alaska to shoot some up and coming snowboarders. I was like, oh my god great I'm onto it and I'd even gone ahead to book tickets to the states and so really I didn't learn any lessons I was going back to what I knew (laughs) and then of course the pandemic happens and I was like oh okay now I'm being forced to change but through that downtime then yeah I was definitely resorting to the screen in down times and I've yeah, I've been trying really hard to break that because I realized I stopped dreaming of my images. I stopped dreaming of new concepts. And through whether it was traveling all the time or looking at a screen, I wasn't giving a chance for my mind to rest. Mm. Yeah, far out. I, I find that haze, like when there's just crap coming in all mm. the time, like I, you just don't get the time for your brain to just... roll through and then build that momentum and inertia of an idea and then chew on it for a while like you know i'll mow the lawn and half the time i'll put in an audiobook or some music or something but i I almost prefer the music because it gives me Mm. your brain there's no words coming in perhaps and you just actually get to creatively think or you go for a run and just don't have headphones in or something yeah you're just like far out of like forgotten you get to hear what the sound that of the is birds. like, mm. yeah, and you just forget what it's like to actually be with your own thoughts and process. Definitely. And I, and I've, in the last five or six days, I think I've just started to do some journaling in the morning, mm. and it's been so awesome to just like get your brain starting to think about things before the day gets filled with crap. And you just like free flow, just like blah, there's there's just ideas. And it's amazing how things just start to fall into place if you just give them 15 minutes. Pretty much. <laughs> Rather than just like, oh, uh, like Amanda was in the shower after we got back from climbing today. Audrey's in the shower getting her hair washed. I'm chopping veggies. And I was like, cool, there's about three minutes. I could get a YouTube video up. Like, just chop the onion, dude. I thought the same just, thing. Because like, I was like, okay, Audrey's in the shower now. Tom's doing something else. Right, I'll just get the Instagram story posts up for today. And then I thought, <laughs> this is just stop. And it, and what I said to Tom, funnily enough, um, at the end of the lo- the second last pitch on the multi-pitch today was, you know, the, one of the beautiful things about doing a multi-pitch climb is you're so bored on the belays. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, not that... I don't know, I don't think I used to be bored on belays because I, my brain wasn't so stimulated as it is now. But, you know, you're kind of like in an awkward position and you're not going to pull your phone out just in case you drop it. And, I mean, you could, but I, I made myself not because I didn't want to. And so you're just like, <laughs> I wonder mm. if he's there yet. I can't see him anymore. <laughs> no tension on the rope. think we're okay. Mm. That's a pretty view. You know, like, what do you think about? And I found myself thinking, huh, I don't know what I can think about now. It was really funny experience to have, but really yeah. worthwhile. Yeah. No, I, even back home, if I can make the time, not every day, 
and I also wait for the sun to come out. But like, for example, memories of growing up, like I grew up in a really small town called Yidlow, which do you know where that is? Sounds familiar. Is it Queensland? Yeah, it's Queensland, Sunshine Coast. It's pretty much the west side of the highway. There's always a joke like... <laughs> the wrong side. Well, better side in my opinion, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's really small. It's close to Palmwoods. Um, but I grew up on a rural property and I remember so many mornings as a kid, you'd um, go out to the veranda because uh, we had a veranda all around this old house and so we'd go sit out on the one that got sun in the morning and you just sit there. Like you'd have your breakfast and then maybe the cat would come over and sleep yeah. in your lap or something. But you just around. sit there and just because the feeling of the sun was so nice. And I just thought recently with the place that I have now, I get morning sun and I purposely try to go out there, don't take my phone, mm. have breakfast, tag my sweet time and then just lay in the sun for a while. Like just even if it's 20 minutes, mm. but just don't stimulate the mind, like mm. just rest. Um, but yeah, I know I'm way happier. Mm. Or even like climbing, it's funny, like for me, like obviously photography has been my obsession. Um and everything and then I always loved climbing like I got into it when I was 18 but I never found my community and then the photography took over and then I became massively insecure about it so I just always put it on the back burner and then when I was forced to stop and I couldn't really do the photography funny enough climbing's actually become my escape mm. um it's funny how that yeah flips mm. yeah, yeah. How, how's the um, turning like that passion, that artistic passion to go out and take photos, turning it into work. Like how is that? Because I've spoken to a few friends recently where they've turned their passion mm. into work and just the the yeah. ride and the journey of that. Uh, it can be a dangerous thing because if you turn your passion to work, you may lose a lot of it because it becomes work. So I think... I still don't really see photography as work in a way. I just try to see it. It is something that I love to do. But I'm also someone like I've had so many photographer friends over the years, particularly the journalist ones who are like, nah, always have a camera on you 24-7. I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not taking my camera to the fucking pub. Um, but their their mentality is like, what if a moment happens? And it's like, I'm good. I'll just keep it up here. They'd be good at Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, for me, it was, I, I started my career as a sports photographer. I was at the Sunday Telegraph and I spent four years there. And because the original dream was, I want to go to the Olympics and photograph it. Or I want to go to the Rugby World Cup and photograph that. But the politics of the paper, the, you know, going to these stadiums, like yeah, it was fun. Like I used to try and race the rugby league players down the sidelines with my big 400 mil in one hand and, you know, 7,200 in the other. <laughs> And there was a buzz being on the sidelines, but then the amount of shit you dealt, dealt with. And then at some point the paper's like, have you got a nice pair of pants, Crystal, and a white shirt? And I was like, yeah, like what's up? And they're like, oh, can you just fill in for so-and-so today for the races? And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll go shoot the horse racing. Next weekend, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to put you on that again. Oh, okay. And then two years go by and I fucking hated horse riding i can uh, oh, racing. No. oh i could tell you that it's just you go out every i don't know 10 20 minutes shoot the finish um go in file it doesn't wasn't anything creative about it like you tried to put yourself you know, push yourself creatively but ultimately the editors are like nope we just want the stock standard mm. you're just here to fill a spot and luckily like because I was only working one or two days a week, a mentor, like he always said, like, make sure you always shoot a passion project on the side. And he was right. Like it always kept my creative juices flying when I felt like I couldn't achieve that at the paper. And, but bit by bit, like I remember I'd shoot so many base jumping, like here in the Blue Mountains. And at some point I'm like, okay, I've been to Pierce's Pass a few too many times or I've been to launch pads and, and I was just craving more adventure. I'm like, I want to, I want to go further. And so one friend was like, oh, like we should go to Tassie to, um, which one is it? It's either Federation or Frenchman's. I always get them confused. Um, and so once he told me that, I was like, oh my God, Tasmania. And the problem with me, if people know me well, if I'm hooked on an idea, I will 
pester and I'll make that fucking happen. Well, that's good. I'll put that little one in my <laughs> memory bank. And so the problem for this friend of mine, he obviously learned this the hard way because he's like, stop pestering me about Tasmania. Like, leave me the fuck alone. And I was like, well, why? Like, let's make it happen. And it's funny because he goes, yeah, you know, my knee, my knee's stuffed. And he's like, it's a massive hike in, yeah, I don't know, a few days. And then, of course, the climb itself. And he's like, if my knee can't handle this, like we're in, you know, up shit creek without a paddle. And um, I'm like, oh, okay. So I let it go. Because finally, like, he definitely pushed back hard. But then one day they were jumping at Pierce's Pass. And was as I was packing the chutes between the jumps, he goes, you want to come to Baffin Island? I was like, holy shit, yes. <laughs> uh, so instead of Tasmania, I was like, let's go to the Arctic. And yeah, a few phone calls later. And I was like, yep, all right. Got six months to save as much money as I can and just get myself there. And when I was on that expedition, that was a light bulb moment. That was like, I love this. Like I get to sleep with my camera 24-7. Like this is my purpose of being here. I was like, I get to document this wild adventure. And... I remember coming back in, all right, what's, what's the next expedition? And the next one was Pakistan. Um, so that was when I was 24. And then I had a pretty major accident at the end of that trip. And it was the best thing possible because I hated the relationship I was in. I hated Sydney. I hated my job. Um, and I couldn't change things straight away because, well, I was getting pushed off the plane in a wheelchair because of my multiple fractures in my right foot and – you know, hematoma in the stomach, uh, which caught the tendon damage in my left shoulder and elbow and, of course, the red eyeball. So, yeah, I was pretty banged up. So it took a few months to figure out my situation because I was dead flat broke. Um, I was living with my partner, so I couldn't just up and leave. I thought I could work things out. But then I get the phone call out of the blue. It's like, hey, do you want to work in Antarctica? And it's just like... Yes, like this is my escape. This is my exit strategy. Oh, God, yeah. I'm out of <laughs> It was. <laughs> uh, see, I'm going to Antarctica. Yeah. And so basically since then, so that's right before I was 25. And that, I know I'm getting a very long answer here, but I just thought once I didn't have a place and I didn't have a relationship, it's like, well, after that contract finished, I just had this, again, another light bulb moment. I was coming back through New Zealand to see my sister and I thought, wait a minute, why am I going home? Like, there is no home. Like, I, I've got no one to return to, really. And that's when I was like, all right, book a ticket to the States. This is it. I'm going to just throw everything into being a venture photographer and see if I can make it work. And I can tell you it hasn't been easy and it still isn't easy, but I don't know else what, what else I'll do. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's the thing. <laughs> You know, for creatives, I guess, if we call you that. Like, mm. I mean, even the world now, though, even with my job, I've got my own business and it feels like you're only as good as the last person you saw mm. and the feedback you get. And, mm -hmm. you know, a degree doesn't mean what it used to mean. Like, you know, my mum became a teacher um, and was working at a school and that was before schools put people on contracts. And so she was, I think, one of the last staff members <laughs> to get to not be under contract where they're just five-year contracts that get renewed. So she had actual job security. But I don't think many of us have that anymore. It's just a different world. But I wonder, you know, with, I don't know, I try and be one of those people that's got a finger in a few different pies because otherwise I'll explode with worry about um, security. But you know, for as a creative person and photographer, then how do you find security in that, and how do you how do you not worry yourself stupid? <sighs> it's hard not to worry. Mm. I think to a certain point, stress is good. Obviously, stressing too much is not fun. Like, and yeah, I've been in those places a few times, but I think a little bit of stress. It, it's almost like okay, for example, when you stand at a cliff's edge. Uh, there's that fear of like you start to think, oh, okay, well, what if I slipped and what's going to happen? And oh, when so we're just, wrapping off today, you're like, what if the rope breaks? <laughs> <laughs> what if, what if, what if? Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's good because that to me, that fear is healthy. It's like, yes, this is a dangerous situation. And yes, I should be worried about these potential mm. outcomes. And so that's the way I see stress with the freelance world. It's like, yeah, I should stress like, because well, what if I don't get work for the next six months? Mm. Like, what am I going to do? 
But then it can get to a point where you just think, oh, my fucking God, what have I done? Like I'm facing, you know, a, the potential situation of like not being able to pay my mortgage or et cetera. So, but then I weigh up the pros and cons. And for me, the pros of freelancing still outweighs like a structured life or like a routine job yeah. or having that security. Uh, like I tried during COVID times, like I was given a gig where it was like a two day a week thing going into an office and helping create in-house content for a company. And I hated it. Mm. The two days a week really fucked with me. I was like, I want to go climbing or I want to be, I don't know. I like the way I've lived my life, which is a lot of freedom. Yeah. And, and fluidity. Yeah. And normally when someone hires me, it's like, yeah, we just need you for a day or for a week. Like it's mm. just for blocks of time. And how have you built your confidence in that? Because I think, I mean, you and I have discussed a little bit about, um, you know, how, how it's felt in your early in your career where, and I think you mentioned it a few minutes ago about feeling highly insecure at times. Hmm. So how have you, what have you said to yourself, I suppose, to back yourself enough to keep going? And has it been something that's taken a few years or are you one of those people that's just gone, screw it, I'm going to do it anyway? Hmm. Yeah, it's most of my 20s. I would say there's plenty of times where a lot of friends remind me, particularly when I was like 27, 28, like I was like, what am I doing? Honestly, like I don't know where I'm going. I just, things going to work out. And yeah, I tell people like I didn't make money until I was 29. Hmm. There just came this point where three jobs came in back to back and I could pay off my credit card debt and I had leftovers for the first time ever. I could put money into savings. I was like, oh, okay, things are starting to work out. And I mean, yeah, like I'm at a point in my career now where I do get opportunities that are brought to me. And that definitely wasn't always the case. I guess I'm just someone who was taught that when you start something, you finish it. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm also stubborn. I'm so damn stubborn. And then when people doubt me, and that was fire to the belly. I wanted to prove them wrong. Uh, but I guess it's just this headstrong attitude of like, nah, I love this and I will just figure it out. And I, I don't have a backup plan, which is terrifying sometimes. Uh, and I always thought, no, if, if you know, the saying goes, if you just have a plan A and no plan B, then you have to make plan A work. Mm. Um, I don't think it's quite as simple as that. It's just this is just all I ever knew. So I just invested everything in, into it. And there are times that, yeah, I felt utterly insane. And you just, again, it's just like, oh, I've seen my friends get married and have kids and, you know, they've got the career that they've been in for 10 years already. And it's hard. Again, it's, you see the grass is greener on the other side. Mm. Um, but as friends who I'm staying with here, they said the probably the best way to me was that, you know, no one's life is better or worse. It's just different. It's so, it so is. Like, I mean, I, my job is working with people one-on-one -on -one and in groups. And so I get quite a bit of insight into um, how people view their life and what makes them happy, what makes them sad and what makes them feel purposeful. And like the people that you would, like if I think about the people that I would have thought, oh, that looks ideal, like, Maybe it's, I mean, for me, financial security is a thing, I guess, that plugs away in my brain. And I think even if, even if I had millions of dollars in the bank, I would probably still be looking for more financial security anyway. But, um, but you're yeah, just staying in your own lane is the thing that has just been, become so apparent as the only thing you can do, you know, like you want to reflect on other things. You're like, what is, what is it that's interesting about what Crystal's doing? Ah, oh, it's that freedom and that travel. Yeah, I haven't traveled enough. Ah, oh, that's what's that's what's bugging me, or that's that little niggle inside. Okay, cool. Yeah, I need more of that. How do I get more of that in my way, not in your way or someone else's way? But yeah, just keeping your eyes in your own lane and not comparing, because you can guarantee that the shit bits of their life are just as shit as the shit bits in your life, or worse for you. Hmm. Yeah, I've always told people, it's like, no matter who you look up to in life, I can guarantee you, everyone is a shit show. Yeah, and if they don't admit to that then something's wrong yeah and like there are people who like to project this i've got it all figured out i've got the perfect family and the perfect career and i'm just like well a that's boring and b that's bullshit because how is 
someone's life not complicated in some way. Like mm. I'm not saying it has to be full of drama and this well, it doesn't and that, have to be negative and sad. No, it's just but life's messy. Yeah, it just yeah. is. <laughs> I've had that coming for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah. But then like the other thing too about a creative career, uh, which I realized you'd asked this question a while back, but I didn't actually directly answer it because I'd never do that. But people are lazy. Like when I look at the quality of photography online, most of the time I just see pure fucking laziness and and no originality. It's just like, ugh, like I get there's been trends and, you know, like someone's holding someone's hand, that leading arm shot. Um, and now the couple who originally came up with that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. But then everyone copies that because they want that same success or um the good old i'm gonna stand here doing nothing in this grand vista i mean fuck me dad if i see another photo like that it's just there is nothing like there's no story to that it's just it's more of an ego trip how i see it. it's just like look at me i'm in this beautiful place and i want you to romanticize about the life that i'm leading dad always talked about that with photos of just like Mm. people thinking that oh this will make a great photo and not realizing that they'd already seen that photo Mm. and it's like they're just recreating crap yeah like it's the the thing that they're capturing the moment yeah 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 no like one project i'm very proud of was uh the totem pole with mayan smith gabbat and i knew that because uh, it was this sort of bigger production where um, this crew came in to film it to create an episode for Rebel TV. And I knew that, okay, if we're going to do this, I have to do it different because this thing has been shot thousands yeah. of times. And not just by professional photographers, like just by your everyday warrior who's stoked to be there and great. Um, but I just thought, well, what am I doing to contribute to the conversation here if I'm going to go shoot the exact same angle? And so, and I mean, the funny thing is my test shot's my favorite shot of the, the project rather than the actual whole drama of like, we rig up this Tyrolean on the south side, the worst Tyrolean mm. ever. It's on like not even a 45, like fucking 60 degrees. So impossible to climb. And we're racing the light because classic me i'm like no we've got heaps of time here's holy shit okay blue hours here holy shit i need to get out on this thing oh i'll tell you what it was terrifying because i put the ascenders on and i'm out and i kid you not it's like hanging on by like two teeth just because of the angle so i was like aria we'll just add a i don't know a quick draw or something to the line just for a backup and talk about picturing yourself falling off. I pictured myself falling off so many times into that water. <laughs> <laughs> and like the shot was nice from like in the middle of the chasm and like seeing the totem all lit up. But yeah, the first day that I shot it, I just repelled underneath the um, the out the well, you know, the spectator outlook thing. And I just went down. I can't remember how far. And it was a day where there was no pressure. Because I was like, let's just test this idea. I mean, putting a flash on a drone, not many people had really done that. And that shot to me, oh, I mean, I love it. And the one of the biggest satisfactions was when Alpinus actually ran it as a cover. And they did such a beautiful job. Like there's hardly any text. They just let the photo breathe. And that was so lovely. But then the compliments, um, and one of the best coming from Gary, who actually set the route which was the Sorcerer, um, 27. Uh, he was at Coolum recently. It's quite, it was, yeah, it was a really cool moment because he goes, wait a minute, are you, are you the photographer who shot um, the totem? And like, the Sorcerer, I was like, yeah, that's me. And I was a bit like, oh God, what are you going to say? Like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the one who like set that round. He's like, um, I really love the shot that you did take of that. Like, I thought you did a great job. I was like, oh yeah, that was worth it. Like, that just this simple like compliment or like a magazine printing it i still get so excited by that mm. like that it's just a really cool feeling it's wild that you can go through so much and it's just that like some random tazzy dudes like oh it's great like you could have yeah so many other people that are, are massive in that world that mm. could have said something like oh that's great mm. but yeah just um Gary from Tassie. 
It's like, and it, <laughs> yeah. it's funny how we can, and you you probably wouldn't have realized, I guess, maybe if mm. if in your brain it's like, oh wow, if Gary came up and said he really liked it, that'll just mean the world to me. But yeah. it just like captures that moment, and it's a random one off, and you're like, oh wow, that's yeah. like. Well, I think like the step back is like the fact that you set the route, mm. and there's a part of it I I feared. Oh no, climbing politics. Did I step on someone's toes? She's <laughs> saying, but again, I that's the insecurity in my head, and you just gotta buy bigger boots. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> where do you come up with those sorts of ideas? Like, where, where does your creativity come into it? When you just mm. like, you know, you you get sent on a trip, and you're like, mm. what? What do I want to capture? Is there something that maybe comes up in the moment, or? Mm an idea before you it's, even get on the plane it's a mixture it's either like for example when i went to baffin oh no that's very bad well for the most part with baffin i went there to document i just i mean i did have a specific idea and that's probably the first time it happened actually before i went on that trip i had this really vivid dream where in this dream i dreamt i was a bird and i would fly above the base jumpers at that perfect time when they would leap off and I knew in Baffin I'd have these beautiful big fjords and just white. And, you know, late in the day you get those crazy shadows from the other mountains on the other side of the fjord. And I just dreamt this whole concept of like, oh, my God, shooting directly down, them jumping off. It would be a beautiful, very somewhat simplistic in its design, but it would be phenomenal. But then it didn't happen. Like we, it was way too dangerous and too much of a faff around to make that happen um but that idea stayed with me and so then i went to moab and i went out to castle and tower uh this is the danger of having an idea in your head because you become very tunnel vision you think all right this is the way it has to be and we go up and i'm buzzing around in this powered parachute and you know, we're just doing laps around Castle and, and this pilot who at the time, oh, somewhere in his 70s, and he just didn't want to listen to me. He's like, no, I don't think you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So and at some point, because like seven of my friends had got up to base jump to be a part of this and like one by one they're jumping and it's just not working and I'm freaking going, oh my God, this is all falling apart. And... At some point, Lynn, the pilot's like, all right, we're going to start descending. I'm like, but there's still two more jumpers. But I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Fuck it. Like, but as I was always taught, it's like be prepared for the unexpected. And so as we're descending, you'd think like when you see the photo, you think, well, how did you not see that angle from the get-go? Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I just wanted to be above them. I thought that that's going to be the ultimate shot. And we're side by side with Castle and Tower and Mike, Tom Check jumps off and it's just everything's perfect i couldn't have planned it uh you know it's a beautiful black and white photo of mine probably one of the top five and um and it was funny though like that image it's probably my most well-known image and the most published that i've had and i couldn't get anyone to publish it for two years like i hit up a few magazines i was like oh yeah i think i've got this pretty cool image and like yeah we're good it wasn't until it won a competition um this uh photography magazine had they used to have this adventure photography comp and yeah and won and next thing i knew everyone was like oh i want to run that image in magazines that rejected it previously were like oh no we want to run it now and i was like ah oh, go figure but yeah so i sort of go off um track here but i guess that getting back to the original point is that a lot of times like yeah i do like to come and just document because i'll search for um organized chaos and I think sometimes what happens in nature can be far better than what you can ever dream or conjure up. But then another satisfaction for me is the conjuring and then going, I have this very specific idea. I want to execute it. I want to make this happen. Um, so for me, there's like there's different ways I approach photography, which keeps it fresh. But then to come up with those ideas, honestly, it's born out of boredom and dreaming. So, so one thing I find really interesting with the the your own personal creative journey is that feeling where you're really proud of what you've done, but then there's mm -hmm. that external kind of validation when you, when you put something out there that you're really proud of and your heart and soul has gone into it. 
I, I was listening to this um, podcast the other day where Jerry Seinfeld was talking about his journey with it and he, he wants to sit with a joke that he's written for 24 hours so that he gets to enjoy it and and really like go yeah that was good and gets to grow with it and then once he puts it out there if people don't like it he still was able to not have their bad opinion tarnish theirs and yeah that that you're talking about that photo um that went out there for two years and no Mm. one wanted it like have you had experiences like that where you feel like you've really nailed it and it's not been or you're putting your creativity out there and then Mm. feedback like that's a pretty wild and scary thing yeah i mean i I, I feel i would say i still get a little nervous about it but the older you get well the less fucks you give so (laughs) that's always nice but even i mean i'm classic for i'll go do a project and i will sit with the image with weeks months i mean i'm doing it right now like the project i did in moab i've not really shown anyone and it will publish an alpinist next month so i've had what three months to sit with it and just be selfish which has been great uh i do yeah i do that a lot i don't like the immediacy Mm. of um publishing things and i feel like i take images that aren't you know time sensitive like they could be shown anytime so it's been nice to sit with it and the problem is though like i've been very self-critical of it and i think maybe i could have done a better job but i have to remind myself well the access is hard there wasn't there was only one line on this face so i'm not gonna exactly have choices for anchoring like it was limited and then i think oh but what if i could have shot a wide image could have been better mm-hmm. so that's just my classic self-critical phase uh and then i start to tell myself maybe it wasn't that grand of an idea Maybe people won't be that impressed with what I've done. Um, so again, the insecurities, the self-doubt. Uh, but got two magazines who want to publish it and publish my thoughts, you know, about being bored and you know the beauty of that and the reward that comes with it. So I don't know. It's not too shabby. But I'm always going to go through that journey. Like it's mm. it's really hard for me to not be super self-critical. Um, but I'm getting better with it. I used to really beat myself up about it in the past, but yeah, I've learned to actually uh, celebrate the small wins. Mm. And I think a lot of us forget to do that because we think, oh, if it's not the the grand gesture, then oh, there's no point. It's like, no, no. Like to me, like that was a really cool project and I pushed myself to try something totally different, which is, you know, it's not fun. Well, it's type two fun. Um you know, stringing up all these LED light tape in a crack in Moab during a heat wave. <laughs> but very That's fun. a cool idea. That was pretty sick. I'm keen to see those photos. <laughs> now we see it in a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> we used to have a subscription to Alpinist. Yeah. Let's get it back. Yeah, that, that's, um, it's, it seems like such a hallmark feeling of the mm. creative person is that mm. like pour everything into it. Yep, this is it. And then go through that like oh is is that it Mm. is that all that it was is this everything yeah well and i'm still a big believer that our greatest lessons come from failures Mm. they don't come from success definitely yeah yeah on that bombshell i reckon that's a pretty (laughs) awesome space to leave it you've got a 20 cent pool table to go conquered up at the uh, blackheath gardeners enjoy thank you so much ivanhoe yeah controversial yeah 20 cent tables Sweet. I don't think anyone else in town has 20 cent tables. No, I don't, I don't reckon anyone in the country's got a 20 cent table. No, I don't think anyone anymore. <laughs> Not even best. people's home tables. I reckon they charge more. And, um, and yeah, and we're locking you in for a couple more podcasts when you come down next. Happy days. And uh, if people want to follow you, your Instagram, Crystal Wright. Crystal J. Wright. Crystal J. Wright. With a K. Mm, with a yep. K. I think people start typing Crystal with a K. Hopefully it pops up. Yep. Yeah. But if you don't, no, I'm okay with that too. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I really did. Um, just digging into kind of that creative side of things within climbing and, and the documentation and all that was super fascinating to to hear Crystal's perspective. She's so experienced and, and seen so much and it's just awesome to be able to sit there and pick the brain of someone that has 
yeah, just a, a wealth of knowledge behind her. Anyway, I hope you all have a fantastic break if you've got a break at the end of the year. Um, safe and happy climbing over the Christmas period or relaxing or whatever it is that you choose to do during this December period of the year. Thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next one. 